This is a Main Hustle Media Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Jackie O and you're listening to Militantly Mixed. Yo, this is Rashani from the Single Simulcast. And when I'm not making you laugh or making up parody songs, I'm kicking back listening to Militantly Mixed. Main Hustle Media podcasts are recorded on the ancestral lands of the Chumash, Tongva, Karankwa, and Hohokam people. And I wish to pay my respects to the people of those nations, both past and present. Hey y'all, welcome to Militantly Mixed, the podcast about race and identity from the mixed race perspective. I am your sir auntie, Charmaine Fury, aka the Blasian Blurred, the Busiest mixed race by gendered bisexual polyamorous atheist comic book nerd cat mom and two time Asian American Podcasters Association's Golden Crane Award winning podcaster in this podcasting game. This is episode 188, and today I am joined by friend and fellow mixed Blasian Rohan Jolie, organizer from the Blasian March and someone that I've become really close friends with over the last couple of years. Rohan actually bailed me out on this episode. As a byproduct of all this travel I've been doing, I haven't had a chance to bank recordings of episodes like I have done in the past. Usually I have a handful, 10, 20 interviews recorded, and then I pick and choose as the weeks come up of which ones I want to release at a given time. But because I've been traveling so much since August, I haven't really been able to do that. And so in the last couple of weeks, I've been recording, editing, and putting them up pretty much within a day or two of the drop date, which is why sometimes I haven't had an episode. I am working on building up that bank again, but unfortunately, I just uh, didn't happen to have my my planned guest available to record today. So I reached out to my mixed Asian quintet and asked if anybody had some free time. And luckily, Rohan did and joined me to have a conversation about being mixed, queer, and nerdy. So that's what you're going to hear today. Rohan and I got to hang out at New York Comic Con a couple weeks back. But um, the greater part of this conversation sort of happens near the end where we kind of talk about um, the complications of ending up in a mainstream, quote-unquote mainstream nerd space like a Comic Con while also just existing as a black or brown queer nerdy person. Um, even when those mainstream places try to make room for us, it's not always done very well or very thoughtful, or it's very clear that they didn't have one of us in the planning um, to make sure that the space was actually inclusive and not accidentally inclusive, if it is at all. Uh, so we do talk about some places in which um, the inclusivity wasn't very strong. And um, and then just generally kind of nerd out about a couple of things that we were really excited that we got to experience together while we were at New York Comic Con. But I think this opens up a bigger conversation, too. So after you listen to this, you'll probably hear us talking about it again in the future, about what it means to create properly inclusive spaces where they don't forget that black and brown people also come in queer and black and brown people also come in disabled and black and brown people also come in different shapes and sizes. Uh, that you can't just assume a very generic, you know, cis, het, white, 
patriarchy with a black face on top of it or a brown face on top of it. Um, that there's other things going on in our intersections that we need to be inclusive of. So that's something that we get into on this episode. Before we jump over to the recording, though, I do just want to share that I will be attending and presenting at the Black and Brown Nerd Expo in Oceanside, California on Saturday, November 5th. Um, myself and my podcast, Padna Shambay, uh, a.k.a. Blurred Vision, will be there doing a panel on podcasting for our show Blurred Comics, my other podcast about um, blackness and blurred shit from a couple of mixed black blurreds. Uh, we're going to be out there. We're also going to have an exhibition table just so that people can get a chance to chat and learn about our show. But if you are in the San Diego, Carlsbad, Oceanside, you know, Escondido kind of area, uh, come on down to Miracosta College on Saturday, November 5th. The expo goes from 11 a.m. till I think 6 p.m. And I don't know yet what time my panel is. I haven't seen the schedule for it. I just know that we have a panel called Podcasting is for the Blurds. So if you listen and you're in the area, come on down and say hi, meet me. I'd love to meet more of uh, the cousins out in the world. Uh, in fact, two years ago, right before the pandemic started, we attended the first Black Nerd Expo. It is now called the Black and Brown Nerd Expo. Uh, but we attended the very first one, and um, a listener of Militantly Mix ended up coming down there to meet. They eventually became a guest on Militantly Mix uh, years later. Shout out to Nikki. And so, you know, it, I always like to tell you if I know where I'm going to be in case one of y'all want to come out and, and meet me because I, I just, I want that chance. I want to get a chance to meet the cousins out there. And uh, let's see, where are we at? We're at the November 1st. So that means we have 13 more days of the Be Your Mix Ass Self 2022 t-shirt available for sale. So if you would like to get it, make sure that you do get that before November 14th. I wore mine out when I was traveling up to Austin the other day, and I felt really good walking around in my Be Your Mix Ass Self t-shirt. Um, I haven't seen anybody in their pictures yet, though, although I know some of the shipments have gone out. So hopefully y'all have gotten your shirts and you'll start posting pictures of it. Just don't forget to tag Militantly Mix in there and hashtag it Be Your Mix Ass Self because I want a chance to see them shirts. Uh, two more things. We also have the fundraiser on GoFundMe right now uh, to help fund the show. Uh, that It's easiest if you just go to GoFundMe.com and then search for Militantly. As you're typing in Militantly, it's just going to pop up. It's the only one um, that is there, but Militantly Mix on GoFundMe. Uh, that is where, we're, where we are raising funds to pay off 2022's expenses and part of 2021's and the future expenses for 2023. And then in addition to that, uh, Patreon has had a lot more movement lately, so I want to do another shout-out. I'm so grateful. Uh, one of our already existing Patreon sponsors ended up increasing their Patreon sponsorship um, to the $100 level. So shout-out to Gretchen. Thank you so much for helping. We've actually finally, for the first time, crossed over to $400. So we are at $411 a month now. Uh, which is getting us really close to that $500 a month um, minimum goal that I have set years ago that I'm, I'm hoping to achieve. Uh, so thank you to Gretchen for getting us there. It's going to help tremendously with the next um, phase of production costs. It's really, really, like, I'm very grateful for the support. Um, so shout out to everybody who has recently joined Patreon, um, whose names I've been dropping the last couple of weeks. Um, it's just been nice to see that people do care about the show and are, and want to help me keep this going active uh, just because it has been tough to keep it financially uh, for the last 
couple of years. Um, but that's it. I Next week... Um, but that's all I got for now. So I'm going to move us over to our conversation with uh, myself and Rohan Jolie. Uh, I do have some interviews scheduled over the next few weeks, so I will hopefully get my bank up uh, so that I'm not always uh, missing or scrambling to get an episode out for you. Um, but I, I know that things are a lot more organized by uh, January. So as far as I know, I'm not traveling much more after November and we'll be able to really get some proper ep episodes banked uh, so that I don't miss out on weeks here and there. I, I'm trying, yeah. I want to say I promise, but if I get invited to like 12 more events, who knows? We'll see. <laughs> All right. So without further ado, please join me in welcoming back our cousin and my loved one, Rohan Jolie. And today I'm being joined by a long time return cousin and and super adorable loved one, Rohan Jolie, Hi. back on the program. Yes, return from Europe and all the return things. Return from Europe, excuse me. That's oh. right, we should talk about that a little bit. Um, <laughs> Our travels, uh, so many travels. We've been traveling, so we've like traveling while I mix. Uh, uh, but you've been travel, travel. Like I've been like domestically traveling thinking I'm cute. You're like, excuse me, I've just been invited to Switzerland. No big deal. <laughs> um, so let's talk about Well, before that, why don't you reintroduce yourself to folks that may not be familiar with you yet, and then we'll get into get into our chatty chat. Yes, sure. Hi, everybody. Um, my name is Rohan Jolie. Uh, I pronounce Adam Shatanta. Um, let's see what else. I'm coming to you from the. Sorry, this virtual screen is still eating me. <laughs> I'm coming to you. I'm coming to you from the unseer territories of the Mape people. Hashtag land back. Um, I am a writer, I'm a dancer, um, trumpeter, and I'm also a community organizer. Uh, past couple of years, I've been working specifically in the lens of Black Asian solidarity through something called the Blasian March. Mm -hmm. um, past two years, we've just expanded, um, started in New York. Um, Charmaine was one of the lead organizers for the LA action. Uh, we've had actions in Los Angeles, New Haven, Chicago, and more to come. More to come. And you just hit your second anniversary from the original Blazer March that you did not know was going to turn into <laughs> this thing. The whole movement. Oh my gosh. I, I'm still getting used to people calling it a movement. I'm just like, no, it's just like a one little thing. But everyone's like, no, it's actually like a movement now. I'm like, uh, oh. Yeah, I think it's become bigger than you. Like sometimes that kind of happens, right? Like I thought mm -hmm. Military Mix was just going to be me talking to mixed people, collecting mixed folks like Pokemon. Um, I thought like <laughs> me and like just the people who were on the show would listen to it, <laughs> like just specifically <laughs> listen to their episodes. And 
you know, four years later, there's a, an actual audience and a community. So it's just bigger than me now. So I think that's like what happened. Awards. <laughs> I, you know, got awards. And I think that's what happened with Blazer March. Like you thought you you were processing what was happening in that particular time and stuff like that. And you were just creating an event for, you know, communal grief and communal outrage and communal effort. And then next thing you know, two years go by and other people are asking you if they can start it in the cities that they live in. So yeah. I think that's amazing. I think that counts as a movement. Oh, okay. I, yeah, I will. I'm, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Sir Auntie Maine says, get used to it. Sir Auntie, um, yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, cause a lot of this, like, you know, I mean, uh, e even in terms of like my interaction with, you know, I've always described myself as more of like an elevator rather than an uh, organizer or an activist, but um, to participate in even the small levels in which I've participated with you, I feel like um, what you created got me um, like a little bit more focused on what it was I was thinking I was doing, because up until then, I think it was way too broad for me to even decide, like, what level do I enter an activism space? Um, and seeing what you were doing with the Blasian March and, and our relationship as it's developed over the last couple of years, I think it's kind of focused it in on a lane that fits for me. Um, so, I mean, I credit you with that. I don't know. I don't know if you feel that way, but I, I credit you with being able to like condense it into Black Asian solidarity. I wasn't really specifically thinking that was the best place for me until you presented it. And it was like, oh, that's the thing. Yeah, that's my spot. Thanks. You know, so that's how I feel. That makes my heart sing. Thank you for that information. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I know you've been like probably oversaturated in work um, related to all of this lately. So we did talk about maybe just nerding out a little bit. But yeah. before we nerd out a little bit, Switzerland. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. uh, how do I describe Switzerland? Um, oh, well, for folks who don't know, I wound up um, being flown out over there. Yeah. To... Hashtag team flewed out. <laughs> flewed out. Flewed out. <laughs> we was flewed out. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I was flown out very first like literally the day I landed um I was presenting at uh, the night festival out in Zurich um and was able to deliver some poetry um one of the pieces was actually commissioned as a way to honor um a black man uh, a South African immigrant man um named Nzoi who was killed by police um, in 2021, if I remember correctly. Um, so a lot of that um, festival was actually a fundraiser for the family, mm -hmm. um, for legal funds, um, for the lawsuit. Um, and then I wound up doing more things that was not on the agenda. <laughs> I wound up... Um, so the funny thing about this festival, it's supposed to be like an anti-racist festival, but like all the people of color were kind of relegated to like one room called the BIPOC room. 
Yikes. And it right. <laughs> and it was very like off to the side, out of the way of that's the festival. Like you had like a main stage area, you had like a back, a second stage area, and then there was the BIPOC room, which was like pushed off to the side, and there was like no signage to find it. It was fascinating. Um so I did the poetry there and then randomly wound up on the mage sta- main stage, <laughs> on Charmaine stage. Um, Charmaine stage. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wound up there, sang uh, the National Black Anthem, um, wound up accidentally on a panel um, with a Black Swiss member of parliament about appropriation. Mm. Um then did a ballet piece that I choreographed that was specifically to pay a uh, tribute to Asian Americans killed by police. Mm-hmm. Um, that was actually kind of a really beautiful moment because a lot of people who were there were kind of like, we had no idea that Asians were also experiencing police brutality. We didn't realize this was also like an issue that Asians and Asians in the Asian diaspora Mm-hmm. um go through so i think i witnessed the genesis of a cross-racial coalition it was just the most beautiful thing Amazing. um yeah yeah they, the people who were there were like yeah like we want to have like more like bipoc events and i was like this is great i'm just a part of it this is so beautiful um, how did they find you for for the invite to the original event before all oh. the stuff started to happen yeah, I was actually delivering poetry at a fundraiser um, for the Philippine Human Rights Act campaign. Okay. Um, basically, this is a campaign, this is a, a bill um, circulating through Congress that if ratified, it will cut all military and police aid to the Philippines until mm-hmm. there is a proper um, investigation into human rights violations. Um this kind of this bill um, started circulating under the previous Filipino president Duterte's presidency, mm-hmm. during which time he basically had instituted like a, a drug war where folks could arrest or kill folks without due process or evidence. Sounds familiar. Yeah, right. And this led to like, according to that international criminal court, about thirty thousand people dead. So, yeah, it's really, really um, horrible and terrifying to think that, you know, once again, U.S. empire has been funding this human catastrophe. There's this really Mm -hmm. extreme violation of human rights. So a lot of folks in the Filipino diaspora here in the States, we've been collectively organizing to support this bill, get it ratified. So, yeah, I was doing a fundraiser there and... Some organizers for the festival approached me and were like, do you do your work like internationally? I was like, yeah, I do. A hundred percent. I do. I also ride horses. I fight with swords. What else, what <laughs> what else, else do you want? <laughs> <laughs> I want to beef up that CV. What do you need? Actually, um, that's you need? amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, I want to speaking at two festivals. Um, and I was supposed to do a third one through the university, but um there was some contract complications. So I'm like, mm. okay, great, moving on. But the second festival I spoke at was actually, um, I got to present on the Blasian March um, and speak about 
my theories around how to build um, coalitions across communities. Um, it was just really beautiful. Just showing videos of the Blazing March. Some people might have been crying in the crowd. It was just like, oh. And possibly looking to a future in which Blazing March becomes an international event, maybe? Maybe? I uh, I I uh have there I cannot speak officially <laughs> yet. I can neither confirm nor deny. <laughs> I can confirm nor deny. Um, <laughs> all I will just say is look out for 2024. <laughs> uh, if that happens, let me start putting pennies in my in my trip jar because <laughs> I would definitely want to be a part of that. Um, I, I, I will tell you privately. But, okay, amazing. Mm -hmm. So yes, you and I. I mean, I found you because the Blazer, the original Blazer March was happening, was about to happen. We were on a, a shared Black Asian group on the Facebooks, and I met you through there. You came onto the show at a start of a period of time in which it was the first time I had ever kind of like segmented away from the specific, you know, me talking to one other mixed person for the show thing and and, and take some time to actually voice feelings that I was having related to all the stuff that was going on. 2020 was crazy year for more than just the pandemic. I mean, we were fine. We were starting to see uptick in uh, organization or organizing and uprisings and things like that community efforts to show like the pandemic was just one of the things that we were all mm -hmm. um, seeing uh, racial inequities and things like that. And so you were kind of the part of this like segment of time in which uh, episodes of Militantly Mix was like that. Since then, we've become friends. We actually built alongside Asian Soph and Mo the Naturally Mona Lisa a uh, Black Asian Solidarity Workshop, which we need to tighten up and get that thing back on the road. Yeah, we do. <laughs> <laughs> and we've seen each other a couple times in person too because of the Blazer March in Los Angeles, stuff like that. But we also have to have fun sometimes. Uh, we do a lot of heart work. We do a lot of very emotional and mentally exhausting work community work and so sometimes we need to kind of give ourselves a little bit of break that being said even when we try to give ourselves a little bit of a break uh the race stuff the <laughs> the social oh, yeah. economic stuff still pops through and everything like that but <laughs> recently i uh was able to go to new york comic-con on a somebody else paying for my trip uh hashtag team yeah. flute out and i got a chance to meet up with you while we were there so it's the second time we've got to see each other person coast to coast new york and la you you met up with me at the con and we got to hang out for a day do you want you want to nerd out and talk a little bit about our new york comic-con experience together yes where do we start <laughs> mixed people being nerds at the comic-con oh was yeah. this your first <laughs> was this your first um new york comic-con yeah, because usually I've only gone to, like, to Flame Con, mm -hmm. uh, which is like Comic Con, but the LGBT specific one. Mm -hmm. um, and this time around, I was, fun fact, this was a last minute decision. Uh, I think it was. I purchased the ticket the night we before. We were texting until like last minute of <laughs> yeah. just like, let's see what we can do. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, wow, what an adventure. Just, I'm still nerding out over the Mandalorian. There was like a full on Oh, I have a story about that. Oh, you do? Tell so me. So you remember the guy we saw that actually had a bike? Like he 
he rode past us on a Mandalorian yeah, bike that's and everything. Thinking about, I was like, oh my god, daddy! But yeah, I mean, there was plenty of Mandalorians, and Mandalorians did seem to stop you in your tracks wherever we were. But that particular <laughs> one was pre like premium elite level cosplay. Plus, they had built a bike. The next day, Sunday, I was at a mini fest called Pod Fest, and one of the guys there who started a um a podcast network called uh, Rage Network, I think it is, where they try to help, you know, independent podcasters uh, grow their platform. He he and I were chit-chatting at this networking thing, and he's like, oh, you went to Comic-Con? Yeah, a friend of mine, he, he's a, he did a Mandalorian there. He, like, built this bike and everything like that. And I was like, hey, I saw that guy. So I pulled up my video of what I was able to catch her, and I was like, is this the guy? And he's like, yeah, that's the guy. So he shows me a video of that guy coming to his house because his daughter likes the Mandalorian. So he rode up on the bike oh. and showed up at the house and asked her to like do a quick mission with her or something like that. So she got to be like this little four-year-old girl got to be with the Mandalorian with the guy who built that bike that we got to see, which was very cute. My so not a, like, not a real uh, store, but a weird way in which New York connected things that were unrelated, <laughs> <laughs> which is something that New York does a lot. Like I was at a totally different event, but it it cut it talked back to what I did at New York Comic Con, and there was a personal story involved too. It was just that whoop, whoop, whoop. it was very cute. Also, uh, my ovaries. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you did enjoy you did enjoy the Mandalorians whenever we saw them, but that one was pretty. I mean, full disclosure: the Mandalorian is my queer reawakening. Um, <laughs> reawakening. <laughs> did you fall asleep? <laughs> I don't <laughs> I just retired of men. I was like, I'm done. And then I saw men where I was like, I am done. You're like, oh crap. Okay. That's <laughs> um, funny you say that. I'm going through a period, uh, a boy period, which is very strange for me because it's it, it doesn't happen very often. And even though I do describe myself as bisexual and I am partnered with a long-term primary male partner. I don't think about boys that often. I don't find them attractive that often anymore, but I am in a period of like the last six months. It's it's pretty much just men that I've been attracted to. And I'm really stressed out about that. See, that was you also at Comic-Con as well. So mm -hmm. <laughs> we both were having our uh, queer mixed nerd experience. Because <laughs> like a, a nerdy, any anybody, like a nerdy anybody is works like as long as they fit the rest of the attractive qualities that you're into but finding <laughs> out that they're also nerds is like it's a whole new thing it's a whole new level of of attraction nowadays, <laughs> nowadays. oh man it's killing me okay so we met up we met up met up <laughs> at the very beginning it was the busiest day of comic-con because i did all four days it was oh, the really? busiest day then wow very overwhelming how many people were i can't even believe we actually found each other so while sh while looking for each other you know like that yeah. we were like i'm standing by this sign can you see this sign because there were so many people there i just thought it was going to be damn near impossible but we managed it we found each other yeah like i don't figure it's day by the entrance do not wander <laughs> i think i literally found. took a picture of me under a poster and i was like you i'm did. under this poster can you see me <laughs> and i was like oh i see the poster okay great <laughs> so you saw a couple of um salt and pepper haired star trek folks and star wars folks that also turned your head a little bit oh <laughs> i mean Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
so FlameCon, I understand it's the it's it's more of the LGBTQ uh, plus focus one and probably a lot smaller. Have you have you been to a nerd event as large as New York Comic Con before? Absolutely not. And <laughs> um, that was a lot. Like um, so, like the same org that ran the Queer Lounge also runs FlameCon, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I did go um, there too. Yeah, and. I was just like, oh, this is a flame con, but like times 35. Yeah. It's even oh for gosh. me, I've go to them and even this one was pretty big to me. Mm-hmm. Like it feels bigger than San Diego. But we met Dominique Alexander. That was really fun. We did. <laughs> um, the uh, So there was a, on the lowest level, there was a, a pride lounge which was weirdly weird to walk into because when you're going through all the chaos of New York Comic Con and you come out into this room, it looked like it was a split room that held two functions or three functions, a bar, a step and repeat, and a panel room. <laughs> it did. It had like a little it had like a little step and repeat, but like you couldn't get to it easy. So like we didn't even walk over to that side of the room. It wasn't a very large room, but um, no, it wasn't. But it seemed like every time we went in there, like maybe a panel was happening because people were seated. Plus, mm-hmm. Dominique was standing, like taking pictures the second time we walked in. She and then was there was people taking pictures on the other side. She's f- so freaking tall. <laughs> she is. I was like, God damn. I went up to her belly button. Like, I was just so <laughs> tiny next to, I mean, she was hella tiny because she's she's very skinny. But I went up to her belly button. I had I knew she was tall, but I had no idea that I was mm. going to be dwarf like that. She needs That's to be the next. She is. She is storm. I'm sorry. Like <laughs> she's storm. She would make a beautiful storm. I would. I, I would really love that too. Uh, With the totally white cool. eyes and the white hair, it would yes. be. Yeah. The bone structure. It would be amazing. Mm-hmm. What all did we do while we were there? Uh, let's see. We went around the. Was it the artist? Alley, Alley, or whatever mm-hmm. they called it. Yeah. Artist Alley. That was really fun because I'd see like some, you know, independent artists, some like local artists do their stuff. Um, that was really cool. Um, what else we did? We tried, well, we tried to get into a few panels in the we afternoon. Tried. We tried. <laughs> we were cute. We thought we could just walk upstairs and go into the Star Trek panel like, ain't no thing. Right. And okay. then they're like, no. <laughs> <laughs> we got stuck in this huge crush. And it's funny because I should have known better, but I think I had a false sense of security because I managed to get into some of the Marvel panels without reserving in advance because the res- reservation, they do allow you to reserve in advance before the thing comes. And it's still first come, first serve, but you have just a better shot. And those, all of those were closed by the time I tried to reserve. So the fact that I got into some of them, I was just like, oh, this is going to be fine. And we go up this escalator and are in the tightest crush of people, of humanity. Literally. That we had to hold on to each other just so we wouldn't get separated. Sometimes I felt like it's so it sucks being short in those moments because you're just looking at somebody's lower back or their ass because I am short and they might be all different kinds of heights. And you're just stuck. Like I was starting to I was like as close to freaking out as I could possibly get. And I, because mm. I'm, I'm people claustrophobic, not not space claustrophobic. But there's too, there was just too many damn people in there near me in that there moment. Were. But we there managed were. to get through it. We just couldn't get into that panel. Which is we okay. lined up though, right? Yeah. For a minute. Yeah. It's like a hot second, and then 
we were like, no, it's not yeah, worth it's even happen. trying. Because I was like, yeah, I don't want to. I mean, first off, I spent, we spent, I spent how much money on that ticket? I was like, I am not spending $150 or whatever the, the cost was to stand in line for an hour to not go into a panel. I'm not, not wasting my time. It. Yeah. Right. So I was like, no. Well, we still that's... ended up in a really good panel that suited yeah, both of us. That was really fun. Which was a young adult graphic, graphic novels. Novel. Yeah. Um, they their their panelists range from uh, everybody was an active gravel, graphic novelist and or artist, but they but their but them as people uh, range from like educators in the New York education system or librarians or or comic book artists or or prose writers and stuff like that too. But they had all collectively ended up doing graphic novels in some way, shape, or form. I didn't realize some of this, like some of the stuff they mentioned or taught us during that panel, I didn't realize was happening in the graphic novel space. So right, I thought that was yeah. a really lucky find when we got turned away from Star Trek. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm and it's so funny because even like, I mean you get the highlights and the like trailers released like after it's online so i'm kind of like mm -hmm. okay like it is what it is yeah true yeah it's still fun to be able to get a chance to get into those bigger panels though but for, right. for as far as the smaller panels went i felt like you really got a chance to to see a little bit of um different than like the quote-unquote mainstream white cis male mm -hmm. stuff so that was a good one absolutely and we saw some great cosplayers and things like that. You and I were also yeah. dressed up. You were dressed up as Miles Morales. Miles Morales. Um, and I'm assuming you know this, but from behind, you destroy that costume. Like it's a, it, it was like, oh my god! Like you got up in line and you stood up in front of me, and I was like, I've never looked at Rohan like that before. <laughs> you got cakes in that cosplay. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure you I'm sure you turned a lot of heads uh in that in that cosplay. I was a match up joke Loki. Yes, um, Jokey. Dominique did like my look. She did say yes, she liked she my said, look. I love the combination. Yeah. Like, oh mother, house mother loves I that know one. my whole face like I didn't think I was gonna be a fake like okay. As a person who does like to cosplay, when somebody freaks out about what you're doing, I'm it feels good. The first time right. I dressed up as Jubilee at uh, WonderCon, I think it was, and people were just calling me Jubilee and asking me to take pictures with them, like other X-Men cosplayers yeah. and stuff. That felt great. And up until now, I would have said the best thing ever is when you're dressed as a cosplay and someone else is in the similar, and they're like, Jubilee, can I take a picture with you? I thought that was the best thing ever until oh, Dominique was like, I love your look. I love the combination. You couldn't tell me shit for the rest of the day. <laughs> House mother approved. That was like, <laughs> like, I almost wanted to be like, if anybody did compliment me, be like, you know who else complimented me today? <laughs> <laughs> no, I feel that. Like, when you're in full on cosplay and people like call you by that character, you're almost like in superhero mode. You do. You feel. Way. Yeah. It's one of the few times when, like, I don't need for someone to know who I am. Like, I, in fact, I'd rather you didn't. Like, you know, like, I just, <laughs> just be like, Jubilee, yes. You know, like, all that kind of stuff. I love it. Um, my, I told, I did tell you this, but the day before that, I dressed as Shinobu uh, Kochu from the um, Demon Slayer uh, anime. And um, 
these two white guys had walked past me and one looked down at me and was like, oh, she looks like a Shinobu. At least she kind of looks Japanese. And in my head, uh, my first thought was like, you're not wrong. I do kind wah, of look Japanese. Wah, 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 wah. <laughs> I do kind of look Japanese. I was probably the only Asian Shinobu, actually, <laughs> at, all of, at all of New York Comic Con. I never saw other Asians um, dressed up as Shinobu. So that's possible. But I, what I loved about you, like, let's, let, since we're mixed fo- folks and being nerds at the same time, you were dressed, you're a mixed person dressed as a mixed character as a mixed character and you know it's something i so miles morales especially in the film into spider-verse that was my real intro into comic books i know that's not a very long time ago but it doesn't matter it doesn't matter you entered you entered when you entered i entered the universe it was glorious (laughs) and like it's something i also explained to my white friends it was kind of like you know, I mean, as folks who don't know, I, I clearly was raised as a boy. I am mm-hmm. no longer, I no longer identify as a boy, obviously. Um, not as obvious to your listeners, but to me, it's obvious. But, <laughs> but um, you know, like when, when you're a I mean, you boy, did reference your ovaries earlier. True. Today, so. <laughs> <laughs> Is this a case of gender confusion or gender dysmorphia? I don't know. You know what? I we can actually have that conversation too, because with my bi-gender thing, I'm like, I can't tell what it is. All I I what I want to say and what's politically correct about what I need to convey right. are different <laughs> things. <laughs> and at this point, zero fucks given. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but okay. you know, like, you know, black boys, Latino boys, they are not given the best representation in media like Mm-mm. or if you see black or latino men on tv and hollywood you know in a lot of these like crime tv shows they're criminals they're behind bars they're mm-hmm. dead like the kids you know anytime you see a black boy in the news it's because something really horrible happened to them like mm-hmm. and like you know for me it's it's thinking about what that teaches our Black children and our Latino children mm-hmm. about their value in society and their worth in society. And of course, that's probably very devastating to their mental health or most kids' mental health. Yeah, absolutely. So enter Miles Morales and like, sure, I can discuss the propaganda of one parent being a cop, whatever, sure. that's fine. It's, but, and it's definitely a complicated aspect of his story, for sure. Absolutely, absolutely. Plus, um, we talk about policing Black boys and Black bodies in general. Mm-hmm. But for Black and Latino boys to see, or Afro-Latino boys to see, you know, a Black Latino being the superhero, being the hero, being the main character story, having a romantic arc line, like... How beautiful. Yeah. So, yeah. And into the Spider-Verse itself, uh, hands down. And and for me, as an yeah. almost lifelong comic book reader, I two times have I been, like, moved heavily while watching a comic book-related movie. And one of those is Black Panther, when the scene from Warrior Falls pops up and you see all the different tribes represented in their different colors mm. and they're, mm. you know, they're singing and things like that. Like that was one of the first times that watching a comic book movie 
I was like heavily, heavily affected emotionally. And another time was watching Miles walk down the street to school from his yeah. apartment and change between um, in English, A-A-V-E, and uh, Spanish or yep. Spanglish yeah. throughout this entire <laughs> walk down, say, two blocks of street. And nothing. I've never felt more, even though I myself am not of, of Latin heritage, I never felt more represented, mm-hmm. you know, uh, media wise than I have in that moment. Cause I know exactly what it's like to in, in an entire day's interaction switch between being mixed black main, mixed Asian main, mixed Japanese main, black Japanese main, you know, like, or main. the corporate, you know, change your accent to work at work type of main, like that scene is, I don't think I can ever explain it to a white person in a way that would make them understand how critical that specific scene was to me mm-hmm, as a mixed mm-hmm. person and it, it, it didn't matter that it was spanish he was speaking and not japanese he was speaking it was like everything he just did there that's my whole day literally i love, <laughs> I love that moment like i mean yeah. the, the movie itself is hands down one of the best comic book movie um like translations into into um, movies that I've seen and I, I it's definitely in my top five but I'll tell you that fucking scene like the way I teared up after because I was like that's me it's not but it is yeah. like it's just it, right, was enough. Right. it was enough like the way you resonate it just means so much yeah I think I cried around the end when the Jewish <laughs> Spider-Man was like you're doing great kid and I was like oh <laughs> Jewish Spider-Man you're so cute <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, everything like yeah. I mean, I think across the board they did really great with all the characters and da 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 da. But in terms mm. of the representation, I think because with with Miles, he's he's not a. It's kind of like the Blasian March, right? It's black right. and Asian and Blasian solidarity. You specifically list that in the explanation of what the Blasian March is. With Miles, he's not just Afro Latino. He is half black you know he has a black parent he has a latina parent and he maneuvers a space that has afro latin culture right you know where he's at so he is at all times black at all times latino at all times afro latino absolutely all happening at one time he's to me he's a very important character um for those of us who come from um, diasporic mixes in the united states like it's Mm -hmm. very specific what he does Mm -hmm. um and for him to be um, getting the attention that he's getting to the degree, like when Miles was for, like they, we just recently celebrated his tenth anniversary in comics last year. When Miles first dropped, you would occasionally see at a comic con one black person dressed as Miles, right, right, just one. Now you see a bunch of people, but now you also see white kids dressed as miles you see latino kids dressed as miles you see black kids dressed as miles. you see afro-latino kids dressed like you you see uh femmes dressed as my like it's it's speaking it's got in there enough that it's speaking to people that that they're finding the importance of this character um and it's for such a small time of existence it's nice to see the impact that that character has um but for those of us that are mixed and are literally sitting between multiple cultures he's our guy <laughs> yeah i actually i actually wore that suit to a blm protest in 2020 <laughs> i was like yeah why, <laughs> why not? not like yeah 
why fucking not like a friendly neighborhood spider-man to look after us at the at an action thank you safety Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. oh man so what else happened at comic con oh my gosh so like um we went across what the merchandise the exhibitor hall yeah which was oh my gosh one of the biggest (laughs) exhibitor halls i've ever seen including just not not the width of it but the height of it like the height the installations of of the was so big in some cases oh my gosh i felt like it was like a museum because i was like so many fandoms from like my childhood yeah. <laughs> i was like it's all what? thrown up in just one big <laughs> <laughs> yeah, literally <laughs> i was like oh dragon ball z and Yu-Gi-Oh!" and oh my gosh i was like wow it's so funny too because knowing you the way what i know of you you're you're a big book nerd you're constantly oh, yeah. posting like a bookstore you've gone to and accidentally you bought five books and somehow <laughs> you read them like you had time to read them somehow yeah, it's right. crazy somehow you went to New York Comic Con dressed as Miles Morales. You're walking down with the, you know, what's this? What's this? What's this? And still end up putting all your money into books. I know, I know. <laughs> he nerd. Literally, I was like the book nerd, and me came out. It with did like big time. You were stressed. Like, you stressed yourself out. I know, because like I was like, this is when I lose control. It's like. I will lose control when it comes down to book shopping. Like that is the one thing that I'm like, I don't care. This is a waste of money. Just like put it. It's in the not cart. a waste though. You know, true. it's not a waste. True, true, true. So, um, so for folks who do attend Comic Con and are book nerds, um, some of the vendors, actually most of the vendors, will um, have like a discount on the books. Mm-hmm. I think when we were there, it was like twenty percent off. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, um, later on, I was back in the Pride Lounge and showing people my books, and someone told me that it's even cheaper on Sunday. It can be. If people travel, yeah. like yeah. usually the local vendors won't do as big a deep cuts, but the traveling vendors will because they don't want to carry as much back. Right. So, so yeah. I was like, oh, next year I'm going on a Sunday. Even though if I buy the ticket and the books still kind of evens out price-wise, but whatever, it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> One it's day, the same with all- me. Like for me, <laughs> I think we deserve our our extravagances. You know, we, we do, do. Um, we do a lot of work in in these areas. But even not just for that. Like as a as a well as a kid who grew up on welfare and had to like mm. leave possessions behind a lot to mm-hmm. you know when mm. our rent would not work out or whatever we'd have to bolt in the night and stuff. Um, I grew up like losing stuff all the time. Yeah. And so I didn't get to have my childhood things for very long. You know, it was it was a constant like if I was lucky enough to get a toy, eventually I would lose that toy because my mom couldn't pay rent and I would have to bolt in the night. And so as an adult, I grant myself those toy related extravagances because like one, I have adult money now. So yeah. I'm learning I can spend my money myself instead of. Uh, asking permission how to sell it or uh, spell it but since you are into mandalorian and i have a toy extravagance problem oh no my ovaries are already imploding ah! this is my bandai samurai oh my gosh let me turn, turn off my blur so that you can see um see the whole thing does that come in human size <laughs> uh grogu has a top knot Oh, 
Like, are you so fucking kidding me? I could say that I spent the money on the top of not alone. But look at the look at the armor. Oh, he's in that is typical Ronin level armor. Uh, so this is a these are collectibles that I have. I have the Star Wars. I have mo- a lot of the Star Wars ones, and I have uh, some of the Marvel ones. But I wasn't planning on getting it, and then I saw how short the line was at Bandai at the moment that I was there on that day. All so. I'll say is, if that thing comes to life in man form, uh, I'm taking it. <laughs> 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 that thing will bolt with me <laughs> in the night. <laughs> yeah, I, I'll uh, if I if I like rub a genie or something like that, and my toys come to life. I'll 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 loan him out to you. <laughs> Just for the weekend, please. Thank Just you. Bye. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. Um, so for me, like the way you were about books towards, especially towards the end, yes. like when we were just yeah. like. Because you stopped at one spot that ended up, you ended up got a free book, like complete yeah. free preview of a book or whatever which i thought yeah. was insane i've not seen anything like that at a comic con before so that was pretty yeah. cool to see but the way you your energy was my energy as i was sitting there walking past the band-aid like don't don't look don't look don't see what they have <laughs> like you're on a budget i ended up just eating uh sandwiches for the rest of my trip so that <laughs> so i could blow my budget <laughs> i actually came up like 20 dollars under budget so oh, still fine. You made it. <laughs> but it was because I got that and switched to sandwiches instead of buying food. Like I would wait all day and buy sandwiches after I got off the subway versus buying food at the uh mm. the thing. Yeah. Cause even that hot dog we got was twelve dollars. I know. I was like, uh uh-uh, uh, no sense. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So like it was so fine. So even after you left, <laughs> I went back to the books. <laughs> you did? I did. Did you get more books? You know, I almost did. Um, because I was like, okay, I've already gone through like that publishing house until other publishing houses. Um, one person actually kind of annoyed me a little bit at one um vendor. She saw my outfit and she's like, Oh, by the way, we're selling other like Spider-Man books down down on the other end of, of our you know booth. And I was like, Cool, thank you. They were all picture books, and I was like, Ew. <laughs> right? I was like, ma'am. <laughs> White lady. <laughs> Give me a thousand pages of words. No. Well, <laughs> I was like, do you see me with a child? And you know no. what I'm saying? That's stupid. Because you came to the Comic Con. Like, you Hello. put your booth at the Comic Con. And I'm looking through the adult books, lady. Stupid fuck. Anywho, <laughs> like, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> let me not be bitter. <laughs> She's <laughs> annoying. Um, so after you left, after that, so I went to dinner with uh, a friend. I actually went back to, to Comic-Con for one more panel. Yeah, you texted me that night and you were like, um, it's a ghost town here, but there's still stuff happening. Yeah, there was a karaoke thing, which I did not participate in because, um, I wanted to go to the panel first because I was very curious. Mm. And then when the panel was done, I went over to the karaoke place and they were like, we got 10 minutes left. Um, there's no way you're signing up. I was like, great. <laughs> like, no, whatever. Fine. It's fine. Um, yeah, the panel was actually, um, oh, can I be honest about this? Yeah. 
Okay, great. Um, this is a honest reflection. <laughs> um, so the panel was on Afrofuturism. And I, I wanted know, to go to that, but I had tickets for something else. So I didn't mm, go. Which was something amazing and musical theatery and Angelica Ross related. So yes. I was like, <laughs> go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how was Chicago, by the way? It was great. It, it was yeah. it was a lot of fun um, and getting to see. And I had such a good mezzanine ticket so I could see the whole stage. So, it, you oh. know, it was like a it was a really nice thing. But Angelica was mm. great amazing yeah so um this panel on afrofuturism first off um there was only one um woman on the panel and these were all cishet people okay so at first i was like okay like let's take our time let's figure this out but then by the end of the panel like not once had they discussed you know, LGBT folks or mm. disabled people or black immigrants or black elders. Um, so I was just, <laughs> maybe because I had a lot of vodka in me <laughs> because dinner at, did have, a, uh, have an open bar. Uh, yes, the open bar was also free, which we did not know until after you left. I went down <laughs> there <right>. again. <laughs> so yeah, I got free wine at the lounge. Went to dinner. Uh, my friend bought all my drinks, so I'm like, I'm somewhere in blunt honesty and zero funks given zone. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I uh, I um you know, get up on the mic. Um, Cause for folks who have never been to a comic con, they usually have like a microphone like in the audience, folks walk up to it, ask questions. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, um, what particularly incensed me was how they would bring up like Octavia Butler or um, I forget who else they brought up, but they did not mention her queerness. Um, yeah, they you know, like to leave that out about her quite often. Quite often. And I do not like this censorship of the Black community because then it's like, who are you censoring Blackness for? Yeah, because they decide <laughs> we get to be one thing. You right. either move as queer or you move as Black or Brown um, because I do right. think it carries into other Brown folks too. And we're literally just here at all times being both those things. Right, right, right. That's disappointing. That's so disappointing. Well, it's the or... same thing that happens with Black Lives Matter, right? Like you have to scream mm -hmm. at people to remind them that the original creators were Black queer femmes. Like, right. <laughs> hello. <laughs> hello. <laughs> like, uh, that was you see so mad when like I go to a BLM event and people are like mean to Black women. I'm like, Black women made this event. They made possible. this. Right. <laughs> like, like, I don't understand. Are you, you all broken? Are you all broken? Because, like, <laughs> literally, the answer is yes. You also come out of it. Well, in some cases, like a black woman. So, like, right. And I what don't you're understand. Here, like, I'm reminded of one of the Latine like political slogans, like, Sin la mujeres no hay revolución. 
um, without women, there is no revolution. <laughs> so mm. I'm just like, literally without black women, you would not have BLM. So like, please stop. Um, right. <laughs> oh, right. So they also brought up like Black Panther because um, <clears throat> they were talking about Afrofuturism like in the mainstream and they're like, yeah, like, isn't it great? And you know, this is also before um, the interview with Michaela Cole came out talking about how her character in the new film is queer. And I, on the mic, was like, you know, as a queer person, I have to point out, you know, we brought up Black Panther as comic book writers. We're praising Black Panther in the film, but no one wants to talk about how Okoye is gay in the comics. Yeah. Or... Again, like you all brought up Octavia Butler, but since I actually said the word censored, I was like, you all censored out that she's that she's gay. So <laughs> I what reactions? I, I'm very curious about what reactions. They were all kind of like stone cold, like and I was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's the problem that That's the problem. when it's addressed, it's still <laughs> like, let's let's just stand still and maybe like uh T-Rex, they won't notice. <laughs> me if they don't move. no one move a muscle oh, the gang <laughs> see you honey <laughs> you're right here <laughs> so i asked them how in your craft are you creating an afrofuturism where all black people are welcome right and literally the crowd started clapping oh nice so, okay yes. so the crowd was on board but the panelists I was totally on board yeah might not have been and oh my God, the, re- the responses were so funny. So like one guy, which like, he brought up how, you know, he's working on a Samuel Delaney project. I was like, okay, like I'll let that go since, you know, he also, there's evidence to see that he was also queer. Um, so basically- There's evidence. <laughs> <laughs> there's sim- symptoms of queerness are, are available. So basically, all the major original writers of Afrofuturism were gay. Wow, shocker! Um, <laughs> Why do you think we needed to create a fantasy world <laughs> to be able know. to tell our stories? <laughs> Maybe because there's no room in reality for us. <laughs> God damn! Like seriously, like when you really break it down, how ridiculous mm-hmm. it is that like black queer people pretty much created a genre and then as that genre goes into the mainstream the blackness disappears the queerness disappears and it just becomes like this like melting pot which i think is a dirty word (laughs) melting pot of stuff that has nothing to do with what we what we did to try to make room for us right like it's not necessarily for me it's not a melting pot it is a culture of extraction there you go we have a culture of extracting things from those who are more marginalized than us like our culture is based on white culture and white Mm -hmm. culture is theft culture so like we have a culture of stealing (laughs) like (laughs) yeah literally it's kind of why in my mm -hmm. intro even though there's times when I feel a little obnoxious doing it, why I do the the busiest mixed race, comma, by gender, comma, black mm-hmm. and polyamorous, comma. Like the reason why I put all that forward every time is because like I know creators get erased for what yes. they identify as. Absolutely. And I'm not going to make room for my identity to be dis- disappeared. 
you know, right. it's part I mean, of the craft that I have. Yeah. I put it into the craft that I have. And so if you're not going to say Octavia Butler, comma, queer black woman, comma, or author, comma, you know, like, right. if you're not going to do that, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. then what are we doing? What are we doing? We are participating in our own erasure from history. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I do the same thing with the Blasian March. Like, I have to say I am an Asian American. If I don't mm-hmm. say that, I will be erased yeah. from the story. I will be erased from my own work. Um, and that has actually happened to me in real life. <laughs> like, in real time. Yeah. Literally, while I was, like, organizing one rally. <laughs> that literally happened. And I was like, I hate this. Um, yeah. But, yeah, so that one guy brought of Samuel Delaney. He's like, I'm trying to work on that project. I was like, you know what? I would love an update when you have time. <laughs> I'm gonna hit you up, girl. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, oh my gosh, someone, this other guy on the panel, he was like, oh, you know, we're not there yet in the mainstream. So sorry. So what? Uh, exactly. Literally, you're making the shit up. Like, you're literally, literally making the shit up. You making can just do it. Up. Just fucking do it. Just like, do it. And you as a straight man, if you're going to be Afrofuturist, it is your duty to use your straight privilege to make room for other people. Right. Especially when you are standing on the backs of queer Black writers who created the genre you are now thriving off of. So you owe it to queer Black people, at least to queer Black people. At least. Yeah. At least. (laughs) Like we haven't even. And let's not forget that until white people got on boats, Almost all of our brown cultures had room for multiple genders, had room mm-hmm. for queerness in different, even in, in positions of, um, I don't want to choose the wrong word, but idolization or elite, you know, like higher echelon people within some of our cultures were the queer folks. Like, and then white people got on boats. And when that happened, it took it away. You know what I'm saying? So like, right. If we're going to try to recapture the greatness that we believe we were before white people got on boats, capture the greatness that we were before white people got on boats, capture all of it. Don't act like we're going to, we're going to elevate this part just and forget the rest and, and therefore still be participating in white supremacy. Like let's, let's stop doing that. That's definitely, I'll get to that, that later, but yeah. Um, as a side note, that is very much how I felt about the Woman King film. Mm. So many parts I love about it, but mm-hmm. I was not a spoiler. The invisibilizing of queerness in Dahomey culture mm-hmm. that um, Audre Lorde writes about in her in her writing, um, mm-hmm. you know, I just found that very just like hurtful. Um, yeah. It's kind of like, but we were there like the Dahomey literally have seven forms of marriage <laughs> like <laughs> obviously we're here yeah <laughs> it's just like when a tv show filled with white people has one black friend or one asian friend or one latino <laughs> friend and i'm like literally this is not reality i've never seen a friend group that is look, looks like that <laughs> right like not, not, where everyone I grew up. Be, not everyone is the power rangers okay honey like, you know what i'm saying <laughs> right god damn <laughs> oh man and it was it got even more egregious when the one woman on the panel who like there was also a weird moment with her where like one of the men made her stand up and was like everyone look at her dress and i was like ew 
She's not a mannequin doll, man. I know. <laughs> That's what <laughs> like, she's on bro. the stage for. I know. I was like, she's here because she's here to speak, not to be this weird, like, okay, whatever. The straights are not okay. They're not okay. They're not okay. <laughs> They're not okay. <laughs> the straights are not okay. <laughs> but um, when she had tried to answer my question, she was like, you know, I'd encourage you just to make your own work and yeah. put it on YouTube and you know, be like Issa Rae and get picked up that way. I was like, Mm-mm. you don't know about me. <laughs> first of all, <laughs> first, of, first all, of all, right? <laughs> I was like, she has no idea I have published work already. So yeah. <laughs> I was like, okay, See, ma'am. The presumption. <laughs> the I'm presumption sure. that I am not published. <laughs> yeah. So that brought on a whole elitist level and the assumption that, that queer writers are not, that Black queer writers are not here yet. I was like, ma'am. <laughs> So have you met Octavia Butler? <laughs> yeah, have you have you met any of the work you literally are referencing on this panel? Literally. Like, oh my gosh. So I was like, I need seriously more like also when you just think of like I'm just getting frustrated because you just think about Octavia Butler's work. She literally created characters that uh, were like non-binary yeah, or non-gendered non-binary. at at best, agent. Yeah, you know what I'm absolutely. saying? Like and paired them in such a variety of ways in which like you had a a masculine representation you had a feminine representation and then you had a non-binary representation as a unit as a Mm -hmm. procreative unit like how do we pretend that that whole series doesn't exist right even like in her most like iconic parable of parable of the talents there is an openly lesbian couple (laughs) like yeah yeah, because when was, you start thinking about it, you click through and you're like, oh, wait, here yeah. also, and also here, and also oh, yeah. here. So it it was just, I was pretty outraged. But um, one, I guess, plus side is all the queer folk kind of came up to me afterwards and were like, thank you. And I was like, nice. but why should we have to do this? Why like, should we? Right. Yeah. It's so like, I felt, frustrating. Yeah, there's a trans mask person there. And I felt I felt so bad. For them to have to sit there and like just stomach this like really on the violent... panel? No, no, no. They were oh, in, in the, the audience. audience. But to have to like stomach this just like verbally violent invisibilization of our people. You know? And the answer shouldn't always be if you don't see it created. There is some there's something cute about that to a degree, mm-hmm. of course. I didn't see mixed representation in podcasting because it literally wasn't active at the time. there was some before me and then it Mm -hmm. stopped and for a whole year there wasn't anything i created the thing i was missing fine right fine but the thing is i was looking for it to exist right why was i the one that had to be responsible in that case you know what i'm saying like Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. means that even though i did create the thing i wanted to see or hear i still am not represented somewhere else i still have to go to my own thing to find representation so it's cute it's great it's missing create it great do that but also if you're outside of this community don't assume that the right answer is it doesn't exist so you do it right it's you need cultural competency too you need to have consultants in these areas as well don't just write queer characters if you're not a queer person reach out to queer people, partner with them and say, I have this world I've created. It would be stupid to not have queer people in this world because queer people fucking exist. I don't want to write anybody inauthentic. Could you help 
can I pay you <laughs> right. to consult on how to insert mm. characters in a realistic manner? Right. You know, you, like it's possible. Right. It's just <clears throat> fucking possible. Right. And these are published authors sitting here spewing this shit. And I'm like, um, this is why in publishing we have pizza readers, we have sensitivity readers, we have like these layers mm-hmm. of readers to go through this. Like we consult people. That's and like I agree with you. I definitely have like I have mixed feelings about the whole, like, you don't see it, create it. Cause I'm like, yeah. again, like you said, like, it's not our responsibility all the time. And um, to, I'm reminded a lot. It's one of our other colleagues, conspirators. So they, you mm-hmm. um, who also helps collaborate for the Blasian March in LA. She uses this term called political imagination. Mm-hmm. And for me, like, it tells me that you as a writer as a straight, cishet, monoracial person, if you can't write stories and have the sensitivity to create a character that is authentic to the human experience, you are lacking political imagination. Mm -hmm. And it's not on me as a mixed person to go through the labor of creating a story. It's on you as a fellow human being to understand the people around you. Like, Right. This is a problem that I have, which I... Like I'll get on a soapbox about this all the time is the idea mm-hmm. of what empathy is. Right. I hate, hate, hate that empathy means I can picture it happening to me. Therefore, I care. That's selfish. Still, it's still <laughs> it's selfish, selfish and it's so stupid. Yeah. You know, like because because here's the thing, I'm not a dog or a cat, and yet <laughs> I drive down the road and I see a roadkill dog or cat and I instantly right. get triggered emotionally because that right. is obviously an animal that died in a violent act in moments and was like instantly taken out. Right. And I feel pain about that. Right. I don't need to imagine getting hit by a car and killed on impact right. to right. feel something about that moment. I just feel it. I would argue that a lot of people see an animal suffering and also feel some form of empathy without being able to relate to it. But why can't, why as people, you have to imagine yourself in that same position for you to have empathy for someone from a group that or a category that is not your group or category. doesn't make sense. We're literal human beings. We are breathing, living, like forget the human part. We're living beings. Right. If you can extend empathy to, a cat or a dog or a bird, but you can't extend empathy to me because my skin is a little bit darker than you, or you can't extend empathy to me because I look femme, but describe a gender identity that includes masculine and feminine. Right. Cause you can't conceive of it. Right. That's crazy. Right. Small minded. Like that is crazy. right. Right. It's like your empathy remains rooted in your privilege. In your privilege. And that's not true empathy. That's still selfishness. <laughs> like it's, like it's in- Instagram empathy is what I've started to think about it. Like it's it's the person, it's the, the person that'll go to a developing, and I'm doing that in quotation fingers, country and take mm-hmm. pictures with the children of those areas. Right. Oh, look at how right. these cute little brown kids just like love me because I helped them build a house or some shit like that. 
That's Instagram empathy. Because <laughs> if you cared, you wouldn't have taken pictures of those children in that situation. <laughs> Which is still selfish because you're doing it for the grams. <laughs> you're doing it for the grams, right? Like right. there, like there's many a memory that I hold of an incident in which I did not take photos of it because I was living in, in the situation in the moment. Mm-hmm. And there's times when I was like, man, I wish I could picture that again, but I don't have a clear picture of it anymore. I'm fuzzy. But you know what I do have or what I don't have is a Instagram chock-a-block full of ways in which I've helped somebody that other people can now celebrate me for helping. Mm-hmm. That's not that's not empathy. Right. That's weird. You know, right. <laughs> like, It's weird that you need that. So for people awesome. like authors on this panel or any right. type of creative work where you don't include people from outside of your category in them or if you do include people from outside your category in your work they are some form of a stereotype and not in any way authentic right um to a particular person or group of people right and like even for us as creatives as artists sometimes it's not the story we want to tell right Like sometimes that's just like why are you putting all this pressure on us to further pigeonhole our work? Yeah. Like if we're that marginalized, if we're only going to work within our margins, you are still telling me that I have to work within a boundary that is more oppressed and more marginalized than your boundaries. So like that doesn't serve any of us. I'm thinking um, there's this one... um, author case and calendar um i can't remember the non-binary but they're definitely like within the realm of trans existence okay and um their novel queen of the conquered um amazing book um it's set like in a fantasy version of um the caribbean during the african the the tray of african slaves the caribbean um and the main character is not explicitly trans. They have a very cishet normative plot line. Mm-hmm. And it won the World Fantasy Award in 2020. So, <laughs> so it's possible to write outside of your category <laughs> with some form of competency. Right. Yeah. yeah like, dear God. <laughs> like, oh, my goodness. Like, my mind is blown. Like, especially, this is the idea that I think is the most frustrating about what you've described um, is that a Black queer woman accidentally created a genre literally right. wasn't seeking out to it just writing the, and and in fact i think if you i think i've heard an audio recording of some sort of octavia blood going i didn't know what i was doing i didn't set out to do anything right. i had stuff in me and mm-hmm. i needed to get it out and right. there wasn't therapists there wasn't a place where you could work out some of this stuff so i wrote it out mm-hmm. and in writing mm-hmm. it out accidentally creates a genre right so your fantasy world like in her case she accidentally created a fantasy world and genre um based out of the stuff she had going on inside of her that she she needed a way to get out Mm -hmm. um but but for the rest of us who enter it we want fantasy too like why does our fantasy have to include the impression from the day-to-day life i don't need you know a lot of people will say i don't go to the movies to see tragedy i go to the movies to escape from the tragedy of my life well as creators why wouldn't we have that same feeling i don't right. go i don't create to constantly be regurgitating the trauma and stuff that i've experienced sometimes i just want to be a fucking mermaid <laughs> you know what i'm saying like sometimes i just want to do some shit that i can't do in real life 
you know? Uh, sometimes right. I want to swim around through through the deep ocean, or sometimes I want to fly through space. I want to do things that I will never be able to do in reality, and I want to find joy and and art and beauty in that kind of stuff. But because I'm a marginalized person, a multi tiered marginalized person, mm-hmm. I have to always do work within my marginalization. Right? No, fucking no. no. Not in Fuck fantasy. No. Are you kidding me? No. That's why fan- I stopped playing D and D because I was playing. Because the same race categories and gender categories and all that kind of shit was happening when I was playing a tank character. Like, why did I play a tank character? I played tank characters because I w- I'm essentially a powerless being in right. my reality. I don't have physical strength like a tank character. I don't have, um, you know, in, in uh, immunity to mm-hmm. disease or or bullets or, you know, whatever. I don't have these things. So what do I do in my fantasy character? I create myself the most powerful possible character I can create myself as so mm-hmm. I can enjoy my fantasy. And then a white guy put an apron on me and told me to go to the kitchen and be lookout. I'm literally the biggest character of my, my little group. Oh, no. And I was told to wear an apron and go on lookout. I have oh. armor. I no. Would- I'm not going to do that. that <laughs> I'm not going to do that in my fantasy. <laughs> I want to enjoy my fantasy. So right. for marginalized, this is re- it's even more so frustrating for marginalized authors within a genre to further marginalize people who share an overlap. Like, right. just because yeah. they are not black and queer, mm-hmm. you are a mixed race, but in their visual visual of you, at least a black mixed person right and a queer person and they could only see your you've announced your difference so stay within your difference right fuck you for that literally and like it goes back to how scarcity mentality is so prevalent in publishing how so people are like you know we're always like in this weird competition to get published i'm like there's Abolish There's eight that. billion people on this planet. You're gonna Hello. tell me that you don't have an audience Hello. somewhere? Hello. <laughs> <laughs> um, also to correct myself and update myself and our um listeners, um, case and calendar does identify as trans and uses okay. they them and he him pronouns. So yay for checking myself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's disappointing. And that's how you mm. ended your con experience. Um, I did wind up just sitting through the end of the <laughs> um karaoke because I was like, I need to That's just right. pretend that that did not happen to me. Yeah. Um, because <laughs> I'm sitting here just like, oh my god, I just witnessed like the hotepness um right. at this like major like iconic events um, in all the geekdoms. I just witnessed this, this moment of like, what the fuck? Yeah. That just goes to show you like, <laughs> like almost no space is safe. Like you go in these segmented spaces, you're like, I need to be a nerd without being harassed for being a nerd. I'm going right. to go to the nerd place. Oh, right. wait, you don't have room for me. Cause I'm queer too. Oh, shit. Right. you know, like, <laughs> God <laughs> damn. Um, I can't, I can't win in these places. I can't, um, you can't win. So I was like, you know what? One day I'm going to manifest this. I'm going to have a panel on like Afro queerness. Like it's no, I just, I can't. Like, we absolutely. Yes. Let's make it happen. It's, it's, 
very possible. <laughs> it hasn't happened already. <laughs> Hello. Yeah, let's let's make let's work on putting it together. I will support mm-hmm. it in every way. So I think it's it's definitely a pitchable panel <clears throat> at any any of the cons because mm-hmm. one thing that a lot of cons are guilty of is having a uh, in their attempt to be diverse. <laughs> Um, they actually really highlight segmentation oh, yeah. in even a higher way. Because oh, if yeah. you don't put these diverse, quote unquote, diverse panels on the main stage, then are you actually being diverse? Did you give me the smallest room at the farthest distance for people to walk to from the exhibit hall? Then you're not being actually very inclusive. Do you account for the fact that like brown people also come in disabled, also come in queer, right, also come right. in different body sizes, you know, do, do you account for the fact that there's all this diversity within the different categories of people too, which sometimes happens a little, sometimes doesn't, but the most egregious thing that a lot of cons are guilty of when they're attempting to be diverse is booking all of the, of color panels at the same time. Uh, That part. (laughs) (laughs) Or I would make an argument for the queer, for the queer panels as well. I'm not going to make that argument for the panels that include disabled people because I bet you they just forget that disabled people exist. Full stop. Oh, yeah. I would say that that those would all end up kind of being at the same time. So it splits your audience and you you don't necessarily get a full room. Right. Because the whole, well, the turnout wasn't that big. I was like, yeah. well, you hamstrung us in the first place. Yeah. So. Which happened in, here in Texas is that I was supposed to be on a panel at a particular time of day that included a bunch of black nerds. Then I was asked to take to pitch my own panel, which I said, here's my pitch. Do not book me at this time to this time because I'm going to be on the other panel. Mm-hmm. They booked me at that same time. So it, it not only split the blurred audience, the people who would come to both of those panels knew knew me and knew the other panelists, the other panel. Oh, no. So if you liked me and you liked the other person and you wanted to support us both, you literally had to pick which one you wanted to support most. Oh, no. Yeah. Alice, I did a panel. Well, I was on a conference as well in August. And they did something similar. Like, they did all the film presentations in one time slot. They did all the LGBT presentations in one time slot. So I was just like, well, I can't compete with, like, super famous drag queen (laughs) down the hall who has the main hall i had this like tiny little room to myself so i'm like and and you're also (laughs) sitting there with your panel going i would have gone to that too like you know like i would have gone to the other thing even if i wasn't involved in the other thing right like we all like met up took a photo beforehand we're all we want to go support each other but i was like but we can't because we're all at the same time like yeah so I haven't, the worst part about mine is that I told them in a week in advance and they still mm-hmm. made that error in booking and then they couldn't, couldn't fix it according to them. Um, but, you know, like, I think we need to be more vocal about that as, as creators and panelists that, that are mm-hmm. within these um, intersectional categories so that we can right. actually uh, prevent that shit from happening. Because honestly, like if I was booking panel, I understand scheduling is insane. But I would start with your most marginalized groups and place them first so they don't overlap. Mm -hmm. And then your dime a dozen mainstream quote unquote stuff could go wherever because people are going to show up for those. But give us a crack. They're mainstream. They'll be fine. Give us a crack at it. Um, But yeah, 
Well, thank you so much for joining me again. I know it's not a last minute thing. I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I had a cancellation and I was like, <laughs> I need to record. Um, but anytime that I get a chance to spend more time with you, I always will sign up for it. So thank you for joining me for this and being a nerd Aww. with me. I also just really love that you came to meet up at, at, at Comic-Con with me too, because it's, you know, we don't live in the same city. We're, we we're our most, the bulk of our entire friendship has been developed over a screen like this. Right. <laughs> so. And life is short, so fuck it. I was yeah. like, look, what am I, I like, I wasn't, like, Comic Con wasn't going to happen, but all of a sudden it happened. I was it like, you know what? I had yeah. an adventure and it was beautiful. And yeah, met some cute guys too. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. I'm, I'm excited about that. Um, I mean, yeah. We're, we're not, we're not, we're just friends, but like, I was like, ah, oh, you're so Still. cute. <laughs> it's nice to have cute friends. Oh, yeah. Um, why don't you uh, tell everybody how to find you and how to find the Blazer March as well? Yes, of course. Uh, you can find me personally at diaryofafirebird.com. Um, how do I spell that? I can't spell out loud. It's right fine. I'll, I'll type it into the show notes. Okay, great. Um, <laughs> Firebird.com. Instagram and Twitter are also Diary of a Firebird. Um, and then for the Blasian March, um, Blasian March on all handles, um, all platforms, also TikTok as well. Um, and then our website, BlasianMarch.org. Um which will be hopefully properly launched in the new year. Oh, nice. Uh, fingers crossed. But <laughs> yes, we do have a domain, so that is active right That's now. <laughs> yeah. I, I am aware that Blazer March LA has their own handle as well on, they do. on the Instagrams. Yes. Um, I don't know if the other chapters will have their own, but um, I do at least know that LA does. Yeah, Blazer March LA. Check them out. Shout out to Lee Painter Kim for all that amazingness yeah. yeah that was a lot of that was a lot of balls to juggle from oh yeah kind of being one of the few people that were out there <laughs> at the right. time <laughs> right yeah like you were still in houston i was yeah. in New York. i was like we can like organize remotely and then yeah and we'll, we'll, show, we'll show up <laughs> we'll show up <laughs> we'll show up um, and not yeah. necessarily do just things. <laughs> oh, that's right. Oh, God, I forgot about that. That's so it's funny. funny now. It's funny, it's funny now. now. It was very stressful the day of, but yes, oh, we did I, miss I, your yes, I, We yes. did get to meet up at the airport, though. So we did. We, we, we can always say that we met at the uh, rental car <laughs> sidewalk. <laughs> that's, that's where we met in LA. All right. Uh, for everybody out there, don't forget that right now we have the Be Your Mixed Ass Self t-shirt available on the militantlymixed.com website. It is only available till November 14th. So by the time this airs, I think it's only like two weeks left for that to be available. So get your Be Your Mixed Ass Self t-shirt for 2022 now before it goes away. Uh, there is also a fundraiser for Militantly Mix on GoFundMe. It's literally just easy to type in Militantly Mix because that'll be the only thing that pops up. Uh, than it is for me to try to read that weird link that they give you. And then, of course, there is also Patreon, patreon.com slash militantlymixed, where you can sponsor the show at a monthly or annual basis, and there are different rewards depending on which level you choose. But other than that, uh, don't forget to follow Militantly Mix on all the social media platforms at Militantly Mix, and don't forget to be your mixed ass selves. Peace, yes. y'all. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye.
Militantly Mix is a main hustle media podcast produced and hosted by me, Charmaine Fury. Music is by David Bogan, the one. You can follow us on social media on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Militantly Mixed. If you'd like to become a sponsor of Militantly Mixed, please go to patreon.com slash militantlymixed for monthly sponsorship or paypal.me slash militantlymixed for a one-time only donation. And if you like what you hear on Militantly Mixed, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to be your mixed-ass self. Main Hustle Media. Turn your side hustle into your main hustle.